Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. This morning and for your spirit to fill each one of us with a new understanding of your love that sustains, your intimacy that pursues, and the joy that you can bring to us. Lord, let my words be your words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, I'm saying this to my three beautiful friends that are here. Um, Welcome to Missio Day. My name is Lizzie, and I serve as a deacon here. We are continuing in a series on relationships. And if you haven't been here or you missed a week, um, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to uh, the previous sermons on our podcast. It has been a really great series. Um, I have enjoyed it, and... Um, I've been asked to speak on something that might get a little uncomfortable. It is the way that we were all born. We were all born single, okay? All born single. And I'm glad that I got that first one out of the way, all right? We're single. Um, I want to take a second to acknowledge that I am a 30-year-old white heterosexual woman that has never been married. There are a lot of battles that I have never walked through. I have never been widowed, divorced. I've never experienced same-sex attraction. I'm Jewish, but I don't know the added layers of singleness on a person of color. And I know that I can't speak to all the difficulties that men and women face as singles, but we have a great high priest who has gone before us um, on our behalf, and I hope that my testimony will encourage you today toward intimacy with him. Uh, As I was preparing for this morning, I felt a lot of different things. I felt really honored to be asked to speak to you, and I hope that you guys see the significance in that too. Our pastors chose to give the authority and opportunity to speak on singleness to a single woman. And that does not always happen. But I hope that if you're single and you're here, that you interpret this as leaders who care about you and the input of the body of our church, including single people and women. I also felt really inadequate. I ran through my many shortcomings reasons why I am not the best person to be standing up here. I have spent some time wishing my singleness away, and I'm not a theologian. But a friend of mine reminded me that I'm not the spokesperson for singleness. I am a person with a story to tell, and I am not married. Uh, So today is going to be a little non-traditional. Um, In my preparation, I found some really great resources, books, and sermons um, that I would recommend. So if you have further questions on singleness, um, please come to me. I'd love to recommend those to you. And those are really good things. But this is going to be a little bit less about singleness and a lot more about intimacy. Every time I sat down to write, I wanted to follow the tried and true rules of aggregating all of the best quotes and ideas from these great writers um, and pastors and really smart people. Uh, And I was trying to glean from them, but I just kept being drawn into the idea that God sustains us with his love 
And we do not have to go through this life without intimacy. The best way that I know how to paint that picture for you um, is by sharing my own testimony. So I'm going to lean heavily into my own story, not because I'm so special, but because God has done some really amazing things for me. And after you thoroughly forget that I'm supposed to be talking about singleness, I'm going to bring it back around with some challenges and practicalities towards the end. Sound good? Cool. Um, so I grew up in a home with a lot of illness. My mom had a disease called Huntington's disease, which is a neurological degenerative disease. With that simply, it means that it was a big bag of suffering that gets worse over time. Most of my childhood was sprinkled with or marked by experiences of her disease. There was the first memory that I had of her being sick when I was a child sitting in church watching her foot kind of have a little bit of a tick. Um, in elementary school, my brother began picking me up because my mom stopped driving. And then when I was in middle school, I remember waking up to flashing lights in my bedroom and coming out to see my mom being stabilized on a stretcher. She had tried to get to the kitchen for a drink of water in the middle of the night, fallen down the stairs, and broken her collarbone. By the middle of high school, I was the last of my siblings to live at home, and I had acquired the role of caregiver for my mom alongside of my dad. At this point, it wasn't safe for her to be by herself. She needed help with everything from eating to moving around to bathing, and her ability to communicate clearly required a lot of patience. We were constantly adjusting to the abilities that she was losing. I had a lot of these moments in my childhood where it seemed like this is what life is. Life is illness, and life is going to be illness. There's no real treatment for Huntington's. There's a lot of research that is going into it, but there's nothing that actually gave hope that change was coming. By the time I graduated from high school, I was itching to leave and moved a few hours away for college. My oldest brother took a sabbatical from his job. Uh, he and his wife and their two daughters moved into my parents' home to help care for my mom. And I visited home every three or four weeks. And I remember feeling this renewed patience and love for her that I was very thankful for, not being under the constant anxiety of caregiving. Toward the end of my first semester at college, my dad called me to tell me that my mom had died in her sleep. Mourning and anger and a mix of relief that my mom wasn't suffering anymore marked the next few years. I embraced the truth of all things being restored in heaven, that all tears would be wiped away and sickness gone and everything being restored. I continued on believing that this life is just something you endure to get to Jesus in heaven. Huntington's disease is genetic, and I knew that I had a 50-50 chance of being born with the disease. Most people don't experience onset of symptoms until midlife, which breeds a lot of opportunity for fear. And getting tested is a really big decision with there being no real treatment. It's one thing to watch a person suffer knowing that there's no medical help. It is a whole other beast to believe that it could happen to you. All I saw for my mom, despite much prayer and pleading, was a progressive loss of life 
that became my projection for myself. By the time that I graduated from college, I started feeling my first ticks, and I moved on through the next eight years, mostly silently experiencing them. I would let people in on occasion, but I didn't openly share with my family. I didn't want to heap a burden onto them. I learned to live very quietly with a lack of hope that my life would be long or fulfilling or abundant or beautiful. I didn't dream about having children or a flourishing long-term relationship because I couldn't believe anyone would want to care for me or even understand what they might be agreeing to by getting married. I couldn't even come up with a scenario where I had a flourishing career. I didn't think that it mattered. Soon I would lose everything and very slowly. There was a full stop in any forward thinking of positivity for my future. I moved to Chicago while working as a missionary, and honestly, a big reason why I chose the ministry was out of fear of getting sick. After my mom died, my big brother went back to work as a missionary himself. Missionary work was kind of the family business. I had been working for crew for a few years after college, and I was making a shift. My brother, at this point, had been battling symptoms of Huntington's for a few years, but I saw the support that he seemed to be getting um, in this ministry family, and I actually thought to myself, it's not such a bad place to die. Soon after moving to Chicago, I experienced what some call the dark night of the soul, where it feels like God has completely left, or maybe he never existed in the first place. I couldn't bring myself to talk to people about God and my work, when my heart was so confused about who he was, so I left my job. I wandered around the city for days. Um, I have a tattoo on my arm of flowers that came from that season of life. As I walked around Chicago, um, I went from neighborhood to neighborhood finding comfort in flower shops. I had to be near things that were alive and beautiful to remind me that being alive is good. I don't think it was anything that I did that cleared the air and caused that season to pass. But over the course of the next six months, God did not need me to sustain an understanding of who he is to maintain his love for me. My fears that seemed to grip me subsided, and I knew in a fresh way that God's love sustained me. Later that year, my big brother was experiencing extreme depression after Huntington's finally made him unable to work. He began having instability in his mind, clinging to fear that he was failing God and afraid that he was going to lose his salvation. While I was spending Christmas Day with him, his wife, and their two kids, he locked himself in the bathroom and tried to take his life. I am so thankful that he did not succeed. That winter and spring, he spent a lot of time in and out of the hospitals. It became near impossible for me to see him without automatically transferring the fear of what was happening to him onto myself. By this point, the muscle spasms I was experiencing lasted all day. From my head to my toes, I felt my muscles jumping like an involuntary eye twitch, daily reminding me, pulling for my attention, whispering to me, this is your fate. 
I started coming to Miss Uday in the midst of all of this. It's funny because I had grown up in a faithful home, and I even worked as a missionary myself, but when a cute guy invited me to come to Alpha, <laughs> man, a place for people to ask questions and explore what it is to follow Jesus, plug that Alpha. Um, <laughs> I was very willing to admit that I had some questions. God could use anything, anything. At one of these alpha meetings, we watched a video and we had a discussion um, around how part of God's character was to heal. And I had a visceral response of anger. I thought that was a big fat joke. (laughs) Heal. I haven't seen it. That evening was like a time marker of a conversation that showed exactly what I believed about God's ability and intention to heal. God spoke, God forgave, God gave grace, God loved, but God healed. Not in my world. I also had a knack uh, for finding jobs that didn't last very long. A job ending coincided with a lease ending, and I began wondering if staying in Chicago was really what I should be doing. Why was I here, far away from the rest of my family? As a single person, I couldn't couldn't imagine expecting a significant other to want to care for me, but I also had no idea how to get sick without someone to care for me. It was a very confusing kind of loneliness, And I assumed that that responsibility would end up falling on one of my healthy siblings. So I decided I needed to open up to them about the symptoms I was experiencing and make a judgment call on whether it was time to move closer to them. So I stored my stuff and I moved out of my apartment. I spent a month on each coast with my other two brothers and my sister, finally opening up after years of silent fear. And I really believe that that was the moment that God started changing me. Instead of living in isolation, I was living in love and support from my family. And breaking down that barrier had enough release of fear that freed me to come back to Chicago and live independently for as long as I could. Individuals in this church have had such a strong hand in my story of not feeling alone. Before I left to talk to my family, I met with Brian to tell him that I would most likely be moving out of the city and why. And I remember him talking to me about how the church could learn to support and care for me if I got sick. While I was still in Maine, an invitation to serve as a deacon gave me a sense of purpose for coming back to Chicago. Robbie and Tala opened up their home to me until I found a job, which somehow turned into living with them for six months. (laughs) Every day I woke up and I could hear Sophia's little two-year-old feet running around on the floor above me, and it was like being in those flower shops, um, a reminder of joy and life worth living. I was finally readying myself to get tested, and at this point, God started to be really funny. He started telling me that I have the gift of healing, which is hilarious to tell somebody who has only experienced sickness and death. You are saying that I will not only believe in healing, but I will administer healing. Of course, tell that to the sick girl. But the crazy part is he just kept saying it and saying it and saying it 
through dreams and visions and other people's words. And then I started reading books about it and hearing testimonies of healing. And my mind was transforming an expectation. I made the appointment to get tested for Huntington's. The week before I went in, Grace invited me to come with her to this church on the south side where she was going to be playing music. I'm pretty sure she just invited me because she thought I wouldn't get weird in a black church. But <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think she knew that God was going to speak to me there. It was the most charismatic church I have ever been in. I remember this pastor was blowing in people's faces and they were falling over. And I had no idea why. But instead of brushing it off as crazy, I was really curious. What are they feeling? Why did it look like they were passing out when he blew on them? And then he came over to me and he physically blew in my face. And I felt the peace of God come over me in a way that I've never felt before. And I sat down in my pew, and my body felt heavy. And in my heart, I prayed the deepest desire of my soul without inhibition. Lord, just kill me right now or heal me. Please, God, kill me or heal me. Kill me or heal me. And I just repeated this prayer silently over and over. A little later in the service, the pastor, who I had never met or spoken to before, came back to me, and he looked at me, and he said, you're going through a lot right now, aren't you? And I shook my head, yes. And then he said, God sees you, and God is going to take this away from you. That sounded pretty good. But he's, he listened for a, another second, and he said, wait, wait, that's not it exactly. God is going to reverse what is inside of you. So even if you go home and you don't feel any differently, have faith that God is reversing what is in you. By the time I went to have my blood taken, I had solidified in my heart that God desired to heal and that he was going to do it in a very particular way. I was going to get the test results that showed that I had this disease, enter into a season of pleading for my life, and after some unknown amount of time, God would remove it, and I'd have this amazing scientific proof that he did it. Except that he defied all of my expectations, and he skipped that middle part. When I went to get my results a month later, my good friend was with me, and I felt all of the same spasms throughout my body. But the doctor declared that I do not have this disease. I needed her to repeat herself because I was in such a state of shock. I didn't understand what she was saying. And then that pastor's words came to mind. Even if you go home and you don't feel any different, have faith that God is reversing what is inside of you. And everything has changed. Everything. The muscle spasms have lessened. For the past year, I have been learning to think like a newborn. And how amazing is it that the only way I could go from having a disease that I was born with to genetically not having it was to be born again. Like that time when Jesus tells Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And it's not God's kingdom what we're all longing to experience. 
I still get chills when I read about what it will be like. I think I have this um, in a slide. This is a, a vision that John recorded in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. A few years after my mom died, I started having visions. Before then, I didn't have a category for them. I didn't grow up with this gift. But when I started getting them, I decided that if what I was seeing um, made me love God and receive his love, then it probably wasn't a bad thing as long as it didn't um, contradict the Bible. In one of my earliest visions, I found myself in heaven, and I was standing next to my mom, who was healthy, she looked at me with a welcoming, familiar smile, and she said, Look, Jesus has given me a new body. And she took my hand, and she seemed to know the way to go, and she said, Come on, let's go worship our king together. In heaven, we will be side by side with one another, enjoying the goodness of our creator. We will not be married to one another I don't even think we'll be parents or children, but we will all be married to the one who has always and will always truly satisfy our hearts. All of God's purposes will be fulfilled. The story he has been weaving together of his faithfulness will be fully known when we get to gaze upon the God of heaven and earth with our eyes. That kingdom coming to earth is the prayer of our Lord Jesus. And it has everything to do with our singleness. Told you I would bring it back around. We are called to give ourselves to the things that are eternal. To seek the kingdom of God now is to live into what our eternal status is going to be. Healed, renewed, alive, thriving, joyful, worshiping, and at peace with God and man. So what does that mean practically? We have to wholeheartedly pursue God's promises and callings on our lives. And I think this might require us to get a little uncomfortable. So I think there are a few temptations for married people when it comes to singleness. Um, this part's short because it's not about you married people. It's about us single. So... Uh, <laughs> fix singleness. Some married people see singleness as a project, but this is somebody's life we're talking about. It doesn't need fixing. It's not broken, okay? Um, you might be tempted to disengage. It may be easier to move on in who you surround yourself with, marrieds with marrieds, parents with parents, and so on, but we need each other to remain engaged because we're all part of this body, and we have things to give and receive from each other. 
and you might be tempted to be at a loss. Sometimes you just don't know what to say. Online dating, hookup culture, unwanted singleness, I get it. If you've been out of the single game for a while, these things can seem like a whole other world. (laughs) I understand. Um, But what I want to invite married people to do is to set aside your assumptions and begin asking better questions. I'm going to give you some ideas. This is a long list. And singles, you could ask these questions too, okay? But I want you to pocket one or two of these. Um, you don't have to write them all down. I'm just going to read them to you. And you if, you, if you hear one that sticks out, just stick it in there. Ask a single person a little later, okay? Ready? Would you like to join us for dinner? Would you like to host dinner? What has God been saying to you? Is there anything I can pray for specifically? Do you need help making any decisions that would be easier to talk out with someone else? Would you like to talk about your dating life? Wait for the answer. (laughs) Okay, wait for that answer. What do you love about being single? There are, there are, man. There are good things about being single, okay? What are you passionate about? Is there anything you wish you could be doing right now, but you need support to accomplish it? Do you want me to help you move that air conditioner? Thank you, Robbie. It is heavy. (laughs) Can I give you a hug? Sometimes we just don't touch anyone, okay? You forget that, like, physical contact is a good thing. And I don't just want to touch people on the train. I need a hug. (laughs) Right? Can I pay you, pay you to babysit my children? I'm preaching to the choir because most of you have paid me to babysit your children. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anything that you want to celebrate and how can I celebrate with you? Is there anything you're mourning, and how can I come alongside of you? How are things going with your family? Would you like to join us for the holiday? Are you aware of your calling, and how can I support you in your pursuit of it? What goals are you working toward right now? Would you like help setting goals? I value your input. Could you please give me some advice? And the most important question is, when was the last time you went to the dentist? Because... I need that question. Okay, I'm excited for no cavities in heaven, right? (laughs) That's real, that's real. Um, But some of the basic needs of life going unmet can make pursuing the things of heaven a greater challenge for single people. Marrieds, I don't know if that's a word, marrieds, you can communicate love to your single brothers and sisters by believing that you have much to offer in, re- in friendship, and so do we. Okay, and to you single people, we face challenges and temptations also. We can feel tempted or challenged to have vision for a flourishing future without the promise of a partner or to engage with God when our desires aren't met especially as we see others moving on into new seasons of life. 
We can become hyper-focused on not being taken care of or pursued and seeking comfort in emotional, physical, or spiritual stand-ins. We can have low expectations of making an impact for the kingdom of God, seeing, as life, uh, seeing life as something to get through, or isolating and hiding our innermost thoughts, living fearfully of the future, saying, if you knew this about me, you wouldn't think I was worthy of love, Stalling, making decisions, investments, or purchases based on the idea that we'll do that once we have a partner, placing our life on hold. Or surrounding ourselves with only like-minded people, becoming unwilling to be challenged to grow in all areas of life. I want to encourage every single person here that you are not alone in your fears, but I think that Satan has stolen so much joy and effectiveness in bringing the kingdom of God to earth through single Christians, stalling their purposes. I felt completely isolated and afraid of what my future held, almost like my fear about the future had me frozen. I still have questions. Is there healing for my brother? How does my calling as a healer play out? In Psalm 27, David says, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to, listen to this, inquire in his temple. Singles, we too need to get better at asking questions. We need to experience greater intimacy with God. And intimacy comes through seeing and learning the depths of one another. I believe that the living God, the author and perfecter of our faith, actively wants to engage in these conversations. Okay, so singles, I have some questions that I want you to consider asking your heavenly father. And if one of them sticks out to you, I want you to be so bold as to ask him that question today. You ready? What areas of my life do you want to heal? Am I believing any lies about my future? What promises do you have for me? What purposes do you have for me in singleness? What do you love? What do you love about me? What are you calling me to? How can I participate in the kingdom coming to earth? What boundaries do I need to create to embrace intimacy with you? Is there anything sinful that is inhibiting my intimacy with you? Who do you want me to serve? How do you want me to serve them? What do you think about fill in the blank? Should I be dating this person? What do you want me to learn from dating this person? Should I marry this person? How do I show love to my family of origin? Do I need to get, forgive my family of origin for anything? Do I need to forgive my community for anything? Will you take care of me? Can I have a fulfilling life without sex? Will my life have purpose if I don't get married? Will my life have purpose if I don't have children? What kind of legacy can I leave if I never marry or have children? Asking these questions can be really difficult. A couple months ago, a mentor was guiding me to ask some of these questions, and I flat out told her, I don't want to know the answer to that. It struck a chord of fear asking God for his input on my dating life. 
Her response has changed my prayer life and the way that I come to God. She said, we can take the emotions and fear out of asking him and see his guiding and revealing answers to these questions as information. Information is neutral. Information helps us clearly see what we should and shouldn't be focusing on. The more we ask, the more information we have, the bolder we can be in pursuing the kingdom calling he has on our lives, the less vague life becomes, the more direct and purposefully we can live. And one challenge I would give to all of you, single and married alike, is to remember that oftentimes the Holy Spirit uses the implanted word of God to answer our questions. Said in another way, if you feel like you're honestly asking these questions and not receiving any answers, maybe it's time for you to begin devoting yourself to reading and memorizing the words that God has already spoken in his Bible. This book is a miracle showing and guiding us into a true understanding of who our God is. He continues to speak to us today, pursuing us with his intimate love, but he has created and gifted us a tool to know confidently what his voice sounds like. We must embrace the words he has already given and gauge the validity of the answers we receive to these questions according to scripture. If you're here and you've never considered God to be an intimate God, have never engaged in prayer in this way, or aren't even sure if God is real, I want to tell you that you do not need to hide or pretend to be in a different place. God doesn't need you to have all the answers. We're asking him the questions because he has the answers. His love and intimacy are not fragile. I want to encourage you to start a conversation and see what happens. Just ask him a question. If you're here and you're single, I want you to know that God sees you. His heart is for you. He longs to be near you and to sustain you with his love. Be bold with your questions too. Now, I want to invite um, the band to come up. I'm going to close by reading portions of Psalm 62 and 63 over you. I just want you guys to get comfortable. Um, maybe close your eyes and just receive Receive these words. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my God is refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. 
and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you, and your right hand upholds me. Thanks so much, Lizzie.